0: Young people want to change, you know, have these ideas about what it means to make the world a better place. And and like a lot of that is shared in, you know, multiple political ideologies, even if they're different just because they're young and because just because like, you know, the world has changed a lot and young people have really seen that firsthand and are very, very aware of it because of, you know, being very good at social media.
1: Hi everybody, this is How Tech Becomes Law, a public interest tech podcast about technology, public policy, and career advice. We are your co-hosts, Yin Zhang and Dhruv Gupta. This week, we have a conversation with Janovi Rao from New Voters, an organization dedicated to youth voter registration.
2: Following the 2016 election, Janovi founded New Voters as a club at her high school where she registered over 85% of her class to vote and mobilized her peers while she herself was too young to vote. Since then, V and the New Voters team have grown the school club into a national 501c3 nonprofit working with high school student leaders across America to help them host highly successful nonpartisan voter registration drives at their schools. For the 2020 election, New Voters registered 50,000 high school students across 300 high school chapters. Outside of New Voters, John V served as the founder and director of high school engagement at the Harvard Votes Challenge, co-president of the Harvard South Asian Women's Collective, and is an active cast member, is probably the best cast member, of the Harvard College Opera Society. In her free time, you can find John V listening to Taylor Swift and watching Vine compilations. John v, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here.
2: Hey, tell us a little bit more about your work at New Voters.
0: Yeah, so thank you for that great introduction. It covered a lot of it. But yes, I founded New Voters when I was a junior in high school. And as you mentioned, we registered 85% of our class to vote. And I think that really like sparked up fire under me and a lot of my peers that, you know, even though we weren't old enough to vote, you know, we could register other people to vote. And that was kind of the impetus behind continuing it. And, you know, it snowballed. We got to a hundred high school chapters by the end of my senior year. I went off to college um, and now here we are with like a pretty fleshed out national organization of around 50 high school and college interns who work full and part-time alongside myself and four full-time directors who manage those interns. And basically, yeah, we just like work with really incredible high school students across the country to help develop their sense of agency or like their belief that they can change the world and, you know, make an impact on the world. And additionally, help them run civic engagement drives at their school, whether that be voter registration, get out the vote, or, you know, vaccinations or even advocacy campaigns. Obviously, like our main focus and core competency is voter registration, and we've gotten pretty good at it. (laughs) But I definitely think that I really liked that we've been able to grow into more of a holistic organization that helps with civic engagement on net because there's, you know, a lot that voter registration can't do.
2: Can you speak a little bit more to the kind of impact you had in the 2020 election, as well as what you're up to next, maybe this year?
0: Yes. So the 2020 election happened two two years ago. Crazy. Long time ago. Doesn't feel like that long ago. But we were able to register 50,000 students across the country in around 300 high school chapters in 39 states. Um, And this is through the like our unique near peer mentorship model where a high school student is matched up with a personal college or high school mentor who walks them through like every step, excuse me, of running a voter registration drive at their school. Since then, we have registered an additional 30,000 students and our registration rate has just gotten better. in in 2020, we were able to get around like 50% of students at a school registered to vote. Now it's up to 80%. And obviously it's a little different in off-cycle years, I think 2022, we're going to see a resurgence of more schools interested. It's hard to keep voting and voter registration as salient in an off-cycle year, but we have a policy department now at our organization, which helps high school students, you know, run advocacy drives as well, which I can talk a little bit more about.
1: Well, actually on that point, I mean, in terms of advocacy, how does the work that you do intersect with more Like maybe partisan efforts that you see as well about trying to enfranchise young voters and getting them engaged about the issues that they care about? And how do you try at the same time of registering voters in a nonpartisan way in terms of the point is just that you want to give young people a voice, but you also want to get them excited and how you balance the two sides?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Because a lot of what makes people excited about politics and especially young people is the partisan aspect of it however as a 501c3 organization we legally cannot (laughs) do that and also don't want to quite frankly i think that something that i and the team really hold is that like regardless of whether you are republican or democrat like we want you to register to vote because we want your party to look more like what you know young people want it to look like that's the whole point right that we believe that young people are the future. Well, it's not a belief. They are. When people are the future, they're going to be, you know, living on this planet, living with these laws that we're making right now and they deserve to have a say regardless of, you know, whether they are blue or red. Or... But as we like can see in the news and what's going on in in Congress itself, voting, voter registration, uh, youth voter registration has become really politicized and it is like an interesting line to walk. However, I found that like young Republicans and young people who are not, you know, what you would traditionally assume are supporting voter registration are actually very in favor of this. And I do think that it is another example of young people not having as much of a say in what's going on as they should. And these, you know, trends that we're seeing with wanting to suppress voters are not the desires of young people across the board. In terms of intersecting, we can't work. We don't really work with partisan Organizations on like bill passing or anything like that because we to a certain level cannot, but we do work with we do partner with partisan organizations. Legally, we have to partner and we want to partner with both sides. So if we're partnering with high school Democrats, we have to partner with high school Republicans. But that honestly has just made the work more fulfilling. And in terms of like the work in that end, I think that all that we can do is like draw attention to like these common ways that your vote can be suppressed, educating students on like, hey, keep an eye out for like this thing or that will like, you know, maybe make it trickier for you to vote than it would for an older counterpart. But I do think that there is a universe where very soon we move into the policy world because you are allowed to work on that stuff as a 501c3 if you follow certain rules. And I do think there's a universe where we try to have something happen where maybe high schools have to run voter registration drives. That's actually in a lot of voting codes and a lot of money has actually been set aside for that. It's just never enforced. But I do think it's something that we could definitely move into in the policy world, just because if you register someone in high school, it's so much easier than like any other point in their life because they're actually in the same place and all in the same state, county, so it's very easy.
2: Well, if it's so easy, why are so many young folks disenfranchised? Is it like they don't want to vote? Like they don't know that they should? They feel disenfranchised or unempowered? What's going on?
0: Yeah, it's really easy to open up Google or like a news site and see Gen Z is ruining, you know, X sector of economy or like Gen Z just doesn't care. But I think that all of the youth movements across the country for the past like what? Like since like 2018, tw- like 2016 have shown like young people care a lot like there's no lack of caring among young people however i do think that there are a lot of institutions that actively have rules that make it very hard for young people to vote for example even though in some states it's literally law for there to be a registration drive run at that high school there are many high schools who just don't because they're like voter registration is too polarizing it's too partisan um or quite frankly, don't really want young people to be voting. I think you could see similar things happening with like, first time voting. Before COVID, there used to be some crazy restrictions where like, for example, if you were from Michigan, you weren't allowed to vote absentee for your first election. And the only group that that really impacts are, you know, high school students who are going out of state and want to vote in Michigan. And they're just not allowed to vote in their first election if they're not in person, or they were. Uh, This is- yeah, it's crazy. There's just some very like there's like some states where you need a notary in order to send a voter registration. But like if you're from Nebraska, where are you going to find a Nebraskan notary before you send in your ballot? I mean, I think that the biggest thing that I see as like the, the reason why we have, you know, young people voted about half the rate of their older counterparts is because it's basically been instilled in a lot of young people that you don't have the ability to change the world you don't have the ability to like create impact on what's going on and i think that i use this like broadly to talk about youth agency which i define as like the ability of young people like their confidence in their ability to produce results and impact the world however like there was like a survey in 2017 by universum that said 33% of gen z lacked the confidence to lead like they felt that they self reported that they had lacked the confidence and a 2020 study by Deloitte showed that like 40% of Gen Z in the U.S. are optimistic that the world will improve, meaning 60 less than 40% are optimistic, meaning more than 60%, like much more than half, believe the world is not going to improve. So this, I think, paralyzes people in a lot of ways. And if we are able to like show young people that like, A, voting is a direct way to see like your voice actually counted and like to see your agency at work, but also B, that like you do have the ability to like create an impact. You do have the ability to impact the things around you. We'll see a lot more voter registration. And that's not to say that like, it's because young people don't want to vote, but I do think it's a lot of it's like, they just don't believe the things that they do individually can impact because like, quite frankly, we've not really been taught that throughout growing up. It's not really a focus in school. I think unless you're very lucky.
1: So actually, I'm curious, speaking of schools and as someone who is actually working with high schoolers for new voters, how have you seen any changes, especially in in the last few years of like this shift in terms of what we're seeing in terms of the political agenda at the state and even local level in terms of what's being taught in schools and actually trying to restrict the teaching of controversial topics by teachers in schools, which are inherently political in many ways, right, in terms of the topics around racial history of this country and the founding of this country. How has that affected the kind of environment in terms of what young voters or potential voters are experiencing when they go to school?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think I just got the tail end of it when I left high school, that there was like some like, I could feel like there was something wicked this way comes in a sense, like I could feel like the murmurings of like, very strong tension like i grew up and there i live in a very very purple area outside of philadelphia and i knew that like half my school was the like where we were people were different parties like half and half basically but everyone was very civil about it like it was something that like we were really able to productively discuss in a lot of ways but i think that like as i was graduating i could feel like this like discontent from people who felt like they were being silenced whether it be, be like by I'm putting this in quotes, PC culture, and that more and more we have been having people accusing our voter registration people of like being partisan and of like, you're going to throw out my ballot if I register with you. And there's a lot of trust building to be done there. And that's why we like really focus on the students registering people in their own school, just because like you already have a connection, presumably, with these people, even if you don't know them just by like living in the same place as them. But I think more and more we're seeing like, neighbor turn on neighbor and people making assumptions about people based on their party. And so I've definitely been hearing about how high school students have been running into these problems. But with like, you know, this like concerted effort towards like trust building, it is something that's going on. But I I also like my high school literally last week had a walkout about masks. Like things are happening at the high school level that are not great right now. (laughs) I think I can definitively say that walking out because you are wearing a mask is a bad thing <laughs> and, um,
2: oh, and
0: something that just happened at my, my high school, like, uh, like a hundred kids or something like a lot.
2: Yeah. Geez. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I, I mean, do, do you have other personal experiences with helping folks register either through new voters or like back when you were in high school that, that you can point to as just, you know, kind of interesting or that might be helpful to someone?
0: Yeah. So I think that like one example, going back to the voter disenfranchisement thing is like my friend, my one of my best friends from home, she's in college in Connecticut and she was sending back her absentee ballot and she had it rejected four times. Like she sent it like well in advance of the election and it kept getting rejected, kept being sent back. Wow. She spent like a bunch of money on expedited shipping and like she just didn't vote because it was just so like crazily hard to vote absentee for absolutely no reason. And I think this was really, really frustrating for her, obviously, for a lot of reasons. And this was the 2018 election. And I remember, like, she was calling me, like, in tears because, like, she got her ballot. She had to literally, refill it, like, four times and, like, very unhelpful. On a lighter note, I unfortunately don't get to interact with students who are registering to vote much these days because of the structure of new voters. But I do remember in high school there was someone who... I knew, not well, but I just had gone to school with them for like eight years and I was like registered to vote. And they said, no, I'm an anarchist. And uh, it was like the funniest, one of the funniest (laughs) and most productive conversations I've had where just, I slowly was like, okay, like, why are you an anarchist? Did you know that you could vote for that? Like for these things that you would like, (laughs) and he's like, oh, and I was like, yep. (laughs) And it slowly worked. But I remember that was like particularly amusing.
1: So, I know that in the recent years, uh, especially with the pandemic, beyond registering people to vote, you've also been working on other efforts related to public health. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about those projects, like the Teens Get the Vaccine initiative that you've worked on?
0: Yes, the Teens Get the Vaccine initiative is something we're super duper proud of. So, obviously, we had to change a lot of things with COVID. And as much as it was, you know, globally and in a lot of ways, like, you know, individually very terrible for, you know, almost everybody. It did give a lot of high school students time. And that's like really when we grew from a team of like six to fifty. Like we had a hundred like plus people apply to be interns at New Voters, a bunch of students were signing on to run drives. And I think that like with all that we were like in some like backwards way, like quote unquote benefiting from the pandemic, we were also very aware of the fact that like people are dying and like a lot of like high school students are not vaccinated even after it was like you know the age limit was removed and i think once the age like was dropped once they said 16 year olds could b- get vaccinated obviously now it's even lower than that we were like okay we already have this system set up where we have chapters in a bunch of high schools presumably a lot of these high schools either it's like you know hard for them to find because it was back in that time when it was like hard to find appointments and it was you know, people were, had a lot of concerns about the vaccine. Like, okay, we already have this trust built. We have students at these schools. Like, why don't we do something about it? And that's where the teens get the vaccine idea came from. And we built, we built out a program similar to our voter registration one where each student leader after they ran registration drive was matched with a personal policy consultant who helped them run a vaccine hesitancy drive at their school. And basically through the same, like, personal peer-to-peer reach outs that the voter registration was executed. They had like a canned message that they sent to people about getting vaccinated. We did a video campaign where we got like a hundred high school students to be like, blank teens get the vaccine because, so like artistic t- teens get the vaccine because like, I wanna be able to perform in front of people or like athlete teens, like get the vaccine because, you know, we wanna, I wanna have my season. And I think that really resonated to people. And I think the most exciting, like that was very exciting. And then I was also very excited about like we had a, a lot of really great collaborators, including we had a Q&A with the former director of the CDC under President Obama, Dr. Tom Frieden. And we brought on a bunch of high school students with vaccine hesitancy concerns from across the country onto a Zoom call where they got to ask him. And we obviously like, it was he's so smart and it was just like very informative. We were able to work with the White House's Office of Public Engagement because they were doing like a back-to-school vaccine thing. We were able to help set up vaccine clinics in high schools, chapters that we had so they could like straight away, like get students who they were talking to to go and get vaccinated. And while it was hard to get a metric because people don't necessarily want to share their vaccination status and also we don't really know if we, there was a lot of barriers to that we can very confidently say that it was a success in terms of just like getting a lot of vaccine misinformation like out of the way and also just like giving a lot of students a closer proximity to getting vaccinated than they would have had before I remember there were like students I knew who were like part of our team who were running these campaigns at their school and they had friends who like whose parents were doctors who were vaccine hesitant and then like through the campaign like were able to like I don't want to encourage it, but like, quote, like, go against their parents in a sense and get vaccinated, even though their parents didn't want them to. And I don't know, it was just very cool to see like firsthand, like new voters is awesome, because, you know, I believe that voter registration, it's not the most important issue, but it is the first, I think, I think it's the first thing that needs to be done before a lot of things can happen. But like, I understand like the appeal of being a doctor, right? Like if you're working in health, like you're actually able to see like lives being saved. And not to say that like teens get the vaccine was directly saving lives. But it was very cool to see people who wouldn't have been vaccinated get vaccinated because of the work our student leaders are doing.
1: I'm curious to hear what's your take on what it takes to actually influence people to do things. I mean, especially with the projects that you're doing with new voters and teens get the vaccine. It's very interpersonal, right? Like you have individuals at these schools who are talking to their peers who, you know, before COVID, they could do it, you know, Face to face and but even with the pandemic at least over zoom and in a more private and personal way versus what we do see at the same time right now in recent years is the massive role that social media and technology platforms can play in spreading misinformation in spreading misunderstandings about the vaccine efficacy or about what it takes to vote and those kinds of topics Um, as someone who's trying to get people to change their behavior what is your experience on what does it take and how do you actually get it to work?
0: Yeah. Thanks for asking. I think that I actually am writing my thesis on nudging, which is in like the field of behavioral economics. And I'm very interested in human behavior, especially as it relates to policy and like political decisions. And I really, I think that like social media and like mass information is such, such a tool that can be used for such good. And like, we do a lot of mobilization through like, through social media and it works well but i really think that like the you know the ace up the sleeve is the personal peer to peer contact i feel that there is a decent amount of research on how the best voter registration staff strategy is like peer to peer contact like having someone who knows someone else message them and be like you should register to vote and engage in a dialogue with them and i honestly think that it's the best way to combat these like mass waves of misinformation that are happening through these Social media platforms. Um, I I think to like the big thing that I have found to changing someone's mind, changing someone's mind is basically impossible. But encouraging someone to do something that they wouldn't, that they might not have done as readily before, is to understand where they're coming from. Like understand how they are, you know, why they're hesitant or why they don't want to do something honestly a lot of the times it's just they don't feel like it they're just lazy and also there's a lot of times when you think it's just laziness and it's actually like oh they tried and it was really hard and that made them you know get like demoralized and that's something that you can help them with um and I think the big part of that is something that we try to instill in all of our chapters is like non-partisanship and actually just actively working across the aisle from whatever party you are so like partnering with if you're a part of the high school Republicans chapter at your school, partnering with the high school Democrats chapter. And I think that's like building this trust, as I said before, and like coming from a place of like, I want to understand where you're coming from and not you're stupid. If you don't do this really goes a long way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of along those lines, as someone who's, you know, young, a woman, a person of color in politics, you know, you're not the classic white male political operative, what have you had <laughs> well, as far as i know um <laughs> have you have you have you had folks react to your Americanness in some way like have you had folks kind of question your ability to relate with them, or have you been unable to relate with folks or has that just not been an issue?
0: yeah, I mean, I think that I am either very oblivious or have been very, very lucky to not really see that happen as much with my interactions in the political world. However, I do think that that could be chalked up to the fact that I largely work with young people. And I think young people across the aisle have really redefined for themselves what American means, like are a very diverse pool of people in both parties, in all parties. Um, and. Because of that, and because of the people they interact with, because of the people they see on TV, the people that they you know, respect in their party, even, they have updated what it means to be American. And that's not to say that maybe I have experienced something and I just didn't recognize it. I know for sure that like it has been a problem with high school chapters in their schools. If the student leader, you know was not the same, the, the overwhelming predominant race at their school, it was sometimes harder for them. But I really do think that, like, it's really in line with what I was saying about young people is that, like, young people want to change, you know, have these ideas about what it means to make the world a better place. And, and like, a lot of that is shared in, you know, multiple political ideologies, even if they're different, just because they're young and because just because, like, you know, the world has changed a lot and young people have really seen that firsthand and are very, very aware of it because of, you know, being very good at social media.
2: Yeah, 100%. So, Janavi, your work has been particularly inspiring, of course, with your leadership of dozens of young students, managing a national and distributed team. There's a lot of folks who want to impact and shape the future of the nation, but you've done this while learning on the job. What advice do you have for folks and what kinds of lessons have you learned over the last couple of years?
0: Yes. So if you want to go into public service, I cannot encourage it enough, and you actually have so many really cool opportunities out there for you if you do, because a lot of people don't go into public service, whether it be because of this, you know, narrative that people in politics are snakes or because there's other better paying jobs. But I think that because a lot of political things happen on the campaign cycle, so meaning like usually it's like a two year gig and then you're going to go find something else. But because of that, organizations like nonprofits and campaigns are super mobile and agile so if you like organizations like new voters organizations like a lot of nonprofits out there have internships and you know campaigns always are looking for volunteers and if you join those you really have such an immense opportunity to do what you want with that job just because like they're moving so fast so if you go up to them and you're like hey can I do this like could I try to run and meet the candidate forum with the local high schools, they're just going to say nine times out of 10, they're just going to say, yes, go for it. Like, come back to me when you've done it. Let me know what it is because they will take any help they can get. And they will, they really appreciate and like speaking as someone who like has interns, so appreciate people with initiative and will always like support people who have cool ideas. And I think that's more than like, honestly, any other industry because, because of the nature of like a very quick cycle, because like you're in for two years, and you're out. You're finding a new job. I I really think that like if you are interested in this field, obviously feel free to check out www.new-voters.org if you're interested in an internship with us uh, or a paid opportunity. But there's just so much, so much agility, so much like quickness happening in this space that you can find some very cool things to do and take a lot of initiative in them.
1: Well, that sounds great. So what about yourself? I mean, you're finishing college in a few months. What's next for you?
0: Yes, so I took off for the 2020 election. So I luckily have a little bit more time than my my graduating class, which is very nice. But I honestly I think that the one thing that I know for a fact is I would like to do something in public service. Like I new voters has just shown me that this is the most single most fulfilling work that I could be doing, like actively being on the ground. Even though I'm not necessarily on the ground anymore in my position, being able to you know empower people to to have their voices heard to you know work for causes i care about such as like vaccinations i could see myself going to grad school there's very cool programs on social policy and intervention which i'm very i'm i'm not necessarily a policy hawk although there are like causes i care a lot about but i really care about implementation and specifically about like the behavioral side of implementation like how do you get people to take up programs or Does this program that we think work actually work? I think the most ridiculous thing I've ever found out in my time, my education here, is that policy is never tested before it happens. It just happens. They're like, oh, legally, theoretically, this policy should work. But there's literally no tests ever done to that end. And it it boggles my mind.
2: Well, kind of on uh, on the other side of this, you didn't always know you wanted to go into public service, right? You, at one point... Wanted to be a singer, and I know I know you're one of the most incredible singers I've ever heard. But what happened? What what changed your mind?
0: That is very sweet of you to say, Throve. I really appreciate it. Yes, when I was 16, I was very set on becoming an opera singer, and I'm very lucky to still have that in my life. But the big change for me was the 2016 election. As I may have mentioned, I'm from a purple area outside of Philadelphia, and I just remember when election happened the sheer frustration on my peers on both sides of the aisles faces of like not having their voice heard just legally not having their voice heard even though decisions being made affected them more than anybody else and I really felt that you know drive to like you know I have to do something about this like singing will always be important to me but there's no universe in which I can sit back and not do anything when people like me and people who continue to be like me, people who continue to be under 18 after I'm under, over 18 are not you know being heard when decisions affect them the most. And that was really the impetus behind everything.
1: Well, as we wrap up, we have one last question. So this podcast is called How Tech Becomes Law. So given your experience, how have you seen a technology and its design create new rules for how society operates?
0: Yes, so obviously I'm not a tech person, but I can say that, Civic tech is becoming more and more of a thing. I'm not as literate in it as I should be. But one thing I do know is that online voter registration has basically completely changed how accessible voting and voter registration is to people. Um, And I think it will just improve if we can ever agree on something in Congress. I just, I think that as laws get passed, more and more technology will be implemented into the voter registration. And hopefully one day the voting process, such that, you know, it is easier to vote, absentee, potentially online, who knows. Uh, but I think there's a lot of space for for technology to become a part of how the government operates when it comes to voting.
2: Well, hey, Janavi, thank you so much for joining. And thank you for listening. I'm Dhruv Gupta with Jinyan Zhang, and this was How Tech Becomes Law.
1: Thanks for listening to How Tech Becomes Law. We are supported by the Public Interest Tech Lab. You can find us online at howtechbecomeslaw.org and on social media channels at techbecomeslaw. The music for this podcast was produced by Clarence Yap. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps other listeners discover us. Thanks again for listening and come back next week for another conversation on how tech
2: becomes law.